So at this time, let us commit ourselves to the Lord's work in our midst. And I encourage you, brothers and sisters, do not be mere listeners. But ask God, Lord, speak to my heart this morning. So that I would be a person who is productive with my life and not waste my life. I have entitled this uh, sermon, Don't Waste Your Life. Don't waste your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity you have given us to listen to your word. Because we are prone to wander. Because we are prone to leave the God we love. Because we often distract from your ways. You have given us your word, which constantly reminds us to seek you, to turn back to you, to repent of our sins, and to live the life that you want us to live. And we pray, Lord, this morning that you speak to our hearts, enlighten our minds and hearts, and we pray for the transformation of our souls, that we will live according to your will for your glory. Lord, may your unction rest upon me as I preach, and may the Spirit hover over us as we listen to your word. Let not the words fall on the ground, but penetrate our most innermost beings and make us fruitful and productive in our Christian living. In this one and the only life that we have before us. We praise you and worship you for your son who died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we would live the way that you want us to live. If not for the cross, there is no hope for us to live according to your will. And we thank you for your word that constantly instructs us, corrects us, trains us, and rebukes us so that we would walk in the ways you have chosen for us. Give us listening heart, obedient soul, and a God-fearing mindset as we listen to your word. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, from 14 to 30. Does anyone have the idea, what, what do you call this? Uh, the entire discourse that happened in Matthew chapter 24, 25. It is called the Olivet Discourse. Why is it called the Olivet Discourse? Because this message was delivered on the Mount of Olives. And one of the most important disciplines as Bible students when we read a passage is to observe the context. In what context is this parable spoken? And if you want to dig the context, you need to go back to the preceding chapter, Matthew chapter 24, to understand what made Jesus to say these words. And praise God for the questions the disciples have asked Jesus, because of which we have great amount of insights and encouragement for the church of Christ today. And this is what we say in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 3. As the Lord Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So they were curious, Lord, when are you returning? How the world is going to end? How things will be fulfilled? And then verse 4 says, and Jesus answered them. And Jesus answered and them. And if you see his answer, it is not a simple question. It's a very 
Very important question. And if you see the answer, generally Jesus didn't speak uh, long discourses, but this is one of the few long discourses that we see of our beloved Savior. He gave a non-stop answer, starting from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, till chapter 25, verse 46. And he covered 94 verses to answer their question, which is about 2,000 words. It's a long answer that the Lord Jesus spoke. And when he gave the answer, he spoke about the destruction of the Jerusalem temple. He spoke about the kingdom of heaven. He spoke about his second coming. And he also spoke about the judgment. And all the words that he spoke, he spoke with the focus on the awareness and preparedness for his return. If you ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, what is the point that you would like to make in all the answers and the discourse that you have given? And he would say that my purpose is to make you prepared and be ready and not take the last things and my second coming for granted. For example, you can see the strong words that the Lord Jesus used in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24 verse 42. He says here, therefore, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Verse 42, he says here that, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So the point of Jesus is that I am coming, you be awake. And the question to us is, are we awake in our Christian living as the Lord's coming is nigh. And he also says in chapter 24, verse 44, Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So what is the point the Lord Jesus is making in this about the last things he is saying? He doesn't just want to inform the church that this is what is going to happen. Just be informed about it. There is a point in why the Lord Jesus is saying these words. And the point is that stay awake. Because we are prone to become spiritually numb. And be absorbed in the earthly activities and daily affairs. That we forget that the Lord is coming soon. Stay awake and be ready. Be ready. About what should you be ready? He gave some parables to help the church to understand. And if you see, especially in Matthew chapter 25, he spoke three parables. Three parables that he spoke. He spoke the parable of ten virgins. And then he also he spoke the parable of talents. And also he spoke the parable of judgment on the last day. In all these three parables, there are comparisons. There are comparisons. And uh, let me tell you, dear church, when the Lord Jesus is making this comparison, He's comparing with the people who are genuine in the church and superficial in the church. He's not comparing the church and the world. You need to understand this. He's comparing the people who claim themselves to be Christians within the church. Who are truly genuine and those who are superficial 
who will be coming out on the last day. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid that as a shepherd of Ecclesia Evangelical Fellowship, I want you to be on the genuine side and not on the superficial side because terrible will be the judgment on those superficial people. And uh, he compares this um, in the parable of ten virgins with the five wise and the foolish virgins. The foolish virgins were the superficial ones within the church. And the five virgins. We see wise virgins. And then after that, it speaks about the faithful and wicked servants. They were faithful servants and also they were unfaithful, wicked servants. The wise virgins and the foolish virgins. And finally, we see that in the parable of, in the parables of Matthew 25, the comparison between the sheep and the goats. The sheep, the genuine people. The goats, the superficial people. So we will look into particularly in the gospel of Matthew chapter 25 from verses 14 to 30 that speaks about the parable of the talents. Or you can also say the parable of the faithful servants and the unfaithful wicked servants. I have categorized the entire section, the entire parable in three sections. The first section speaks about delegation. The second section speaks about implementation. And the final third section speaks about accountability and judgment. And if you sit here thinking that this is just a parable, I would like to tell you, brothers and sisters, one day, one day you are going to stand in the place that this parable is speaking about. It is not speaking about your neighbor. It is not speaking about some people in the first century. It is not speaking about some believers out there in the world. It speaks about you. You are a part of this parable. And you should listen carefully and think about in which category do I fall into. It is not foreign to any of us here, including myself. The first section that we see is the delegation here. And what is the delegation we see here in verse 14? For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. We see that the master gave a delegation. And the parable begins with these words. And what are the words? For it will be like a man going on a journey. And the question that comes over here is, what is it here? What is it that the Lord Jesus is comparing that this it will be like a man going on a journey? What is it? If you look into the context, that it is the kingdom of heaven. We see that in verse 1. Matthew 25, verse 1. He says here, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lambs and went to meet the bridegroom. And then after this parable, in the second parable he says in verse 14, For it, which is the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey. What could Jesus mean when he said that, 
for it will be like a man going on a journey which means it seems to us the way he was using words is that when Christ comes to establish his kingdom when Jesus returns on the last day to found his kingdom and gather his people and reign over the new heavens and the new earth this is how the condition will be this is how the situation will be and we all will be in that situation one day and it will be like this how will it will be it will be like a man going on a journey so who is this man by the way what does he symbolize the man in this parable symbolizes the lord jesus christ it begins with the word man but later the term that is often used in this parable is the word master which is used about nine times in this parable this master symbolizes the lord jesus christ and what did he give when he went on a journey he gave his three servants talents and what are these talents these talents doesn't speak about ability in the literal sense when this parable was spoken parable talent here we see that it is most often an amount of money it is a unit of money it is the weight of money bible scholar says that that a denarii is a day's wage it was a currency used in the first century a denarii is a day's wage salary and you know how much is a talent a talent is 6000 denarii 6000 denarii which is about 20 years of wages 20 years of wages if jesus told the parable today in our currency maybe this is how we could say he might have given the first servant 50 crores to make sense of how much he might have given to the servants the first servant he must have given 50 crores the second servant he might have given 20 crores and the third servant he might have given 10 crores for our understanding i'm just uh, translating that um, currency so what we see here is that the master symbolizes the lord jesus christ the servants symbolize who the servants symbolize professing christians who claim jesus to be their lord there are two things that i would like to tell you the servants here do not symbolize pagans or gentiles you don't get their picture when you read these three parables it speaks about professing christians who claim to be christians who claim to know christ who claim to say that jesus is my lord and another thing that i want to clarify here that these servants are not just pastors and full time christian workers have seen that when people think about it they think about oh this must be pastors and full time christian workers no they will be there but i'm one among them it applies to all god's people if you claim yourself to be a christian one day you are going to stand before the lord and face what they have faced you may be a new christian you may be a christian somewhere in the middle 
after many years, or you may be an older Christian, no matter whosoever you are, the Bible declares that you, you claim to be professed Christian, will be in this group. So these servants symbolize professing Christians. And what does this talent symbolize? The talents symbolize. And I had done a lot of study on that. And finally, this is how I summarize the talents are. The talents could be gifts, responsibilities, time, money, and even the life itself that God has entrusted to you. God has given you life. Christ has purchased you by the blood of his, uh, uh, of his body on the cross. And he has given you this life, this new life. And he has also given you, along with that, gifts, responsibilities, time, and money. What you do with it matters for eternity. What you do with your life matters for eternity. And if you tell me, uh, what, could, what, what could this be and what is the goal of it? And this is what he would say then. Whatever you have. Gifts or responsibilities, money, time, life, and what all God has given to you. Anything that you use for the glory of God, for the benefit of people, is speaking about your good stewardship. Anything, the goal of everything God has given to the servants is for His glory. How you have glorified God's name and how you have served people. How you have invested your life in others. How you have poured your life to love and serve people, particularly the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you observe carefully here, it says that in verse 15, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 15, you see that, to one he gave five talents, and to another two, to another one. Now observe that phrase, carefully observe. Fix your eyes on this phrase. You know what it says? To each according to his ability. He gave to each servant according to his ability. Now what do we glean from that? We glean from here that each servant had an ability. None of them could say that I have no ability. Similarly, all Christians have abilities. All Christians have some gifts that God has given to them. None of them can say that, I don't have ability. In fact, if you read 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says that each one should use whatever gift God has given you. It doesn't say that if God has given you. It says, should use what God has given you. So this shows that each servant had an ability. And the second thing is that it says here, now observe the terms very carefully. You know what it says? It says that the master gave them his talents. Observe in verse 14, it says, his talents. He entrusted to them his property. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you here, your life is not yours. It is his. Your time is not yours. It is his. Your money is not yours. It is his. Your responsibilities and gifts is not yours. It is his. 
He has entrusted to you, which means you need to pay him back with what he has entrusted to you. Don't live as masters of your life and resources. Live as servants. Because the scripture says here, he gave them his property, his talents to them. And another thing that we need to understand is that the master gave them talents according to their ability. He doesn't give anything to people beyond their ability. And all people do not have the same ability. That is what we need to understand that the first servant had more ability. The second servant had little lesser than the first one. And the third servant had little lesser than the other two. All had different responsibilities and abilities. And God will give you the responsibilities and gifts according to your ability, according to His will, which you need to faithfully fulfill. And you know what is an interesting thing when you read this? The master gave them the freedom to use talents according to their ability. Did he give them instructions, any instructions how to use the talents? No. He didn't give them any instructions. He just gave them the talents and he gave them the freedom to use the talents according to their ability. And all these servants were accountable to the master about how productive they were with the talents that God has entrusted to them. Do you think you are accountable to God? Are you accountable to God for the life he has given you? Are you accountable to God for the time he has given you? Are you accountable to God with the money he has given you? Are you accountable to God with the responsibilities he has given you? Are you accountable to God for the gifts and skills he has given you? You are, dear brothers and sisters. And we'll see the second section here, the implementation. We see the delegation and we see the second section, implementation. What did they do? Verse 16 says, he who had received the five talents, what did he do? He went at once. I love the word at once. He didn't wait for the new year. This is November. Let me wait for the new year to begin. He just went at once. You see the promptness in him. And traded. He did business with the talents the master had given to them. He didn't waste time. He worked hard. And what happened as a result of it? He made five talents more. So how much, did, how much did he make from 50 crores? How much? Huh? He made five talents more. It is five talents. It's five. Which means ten talents. Hundred crores he made. And then we see that he also, he who also had received two talents, made two talents more. How much did he make from 20 crores? 40 crores he made. And what do we understand when you see this? Both of them were doubly productive with the talents that master has entrusted to them according to their ability. You know, it says, I love the phrase, one of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs uh, chapter 14, verse 23. Can anyone remember that? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23. It says that 
in all toil, in all hard work, there is profit. But idle talk leads only to poverty. Only talk. I will do this. I will do that. There are some people who talk is greater than the works. It leads to poverty. They won't be productive in life. But all those who work hard, this is often I say that if you work hard, fruitfulness will run after you. If you run after fruitfulness and idleness, it will run away from you. Because the Bible says that wherever there is labor, people prosper. Wherever there is labor, people will be fruitful. In the responsibilities, God has given to them. And in verse 18, here we see the genius from the two servants. What did he do? It says that, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. In the olden times, people dug the ground and hid money so that it can be secure. So what is his intention? He thought that, I want to keep this talent secure and not be wasted. And be careful with what I have been interested. And what did he do? He dug the ground and hid it safely. Did he abuse it? Did he use the talent to go and drink the way the prodigal son has went and squandered on, uh, you know, vacation and uh, immorality and all these things? Did he do that? He's faithful, right? He's faithful, I think, right? <laughs> he went and dug the ground and hid the money. And then comes the third section, accountability and judgment. Accountability and judgment. And I think the word of God intentionally uses these words in the two parables. It says in verse 19, Now after a long time, there is this intentional delay of the master. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. We also see that uh, this long time being used even in verse 5, in the parable of the uh, ten virgins, it says that in verse 5, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. And I think the words are used here intentionally to test the awakeness and readiness of God's people. When Jesus said, I will come soon, it doesn't mean in terms of time. He says in terms of an expectancy. Any time he may come, be ready, be awake. And we see that the master delayed. And after a long time, which reminds us that the return of the Christ may take a long time and he may come any time in this long time. And you know what is the problem here? The problem here is not with Christ coming. You know what is the problem? The problem here is with our awakeness and readiness. The problem is with our awakeness and readiness. And we see this in accountability and judgment. First we'll see uh, the, the rewards and punishment here. Primarily we see the rewards and punishment. And 25 verse 19, brothers and sisters, these words should provoke healthy fear and sobriety in us. And what is the healthy fear and sobriety? No matter whatever your age is, young man, you may be in teens, you may be a young adult, 
you may be in the middle age and some people who are all think that everything is over nothing is over as long as there is breath in the nostrils there is no retirement in the kingdom of god and it says here now after a long time the master of the servants came and what did he do he took them into the kingdom right what did he do what did he do and settled accounts with them you know what is one of the dangerous misconceptions in the church today when christ comes we will directly go where <laughs> we'll go where heaven lord come soon john you would get the answer now he asked me a question i, I told him that wait for uh, my sermon today you will get an answer why i'm afraid of his coming We think that when Christ comes, we all will be taken up in the air and then we will be happily ever after in the new heavens and the new earth singing jolly hallelujah praise the lord brothers and sisters you know what will happen when he comes he will first settle accounts with us the second coming of Christ is not an exciting news if you are not doing anything with your life it says in 2 corinthians 5:10 in line with what we see the parable of uh, the talents 2 corinthians 5:10 says that for we all for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ even paul the apostle of christ is not an exception from the judgment paul says that we we all must appear before the judgment seat of christ everyone who is sitting in the seat here will appear before the judgment seat of christ all of us so that each one may receive what will you receive what is due for what he has done in the body what have you done with your body here what have you done with your life on earth here you will have to give an account to god whether good or evil now this is a question i have written for myself and for ourselves waiting for christ coming is good but if you do nothing and remain unfruitful his coming is not good news because he is not coming as a lamp of god he is coming as the lion of judah as the judge of the living and the dead and as the judge of the heavens and the earth you teens who are sitting here playing with your mobile phones all the time you young adults you are here glued to screens all the time you young adults here who are so absorbed in your busyness of life you the old people who are thinking that i am closer to death and i have done my duty remember christ is coming to settle accounts with you and me and is not going to spare anyone he is a serious master he is a loving lord who loved us and gave his life on the cross and he rose from the dead he loved us unconditionally he is so loving at the same time he is also a serious a holy lord who expects us to give an account of our lives and this scares me brothers and sisters i don't know about you 
I'm scared. Then he settled accounts with me. I have been given many caps. A lot of caps I wear, greater responsibilities, greater. When I see myself here, I see in the first servant, lot of abilities. It's not exciting, brothers and sisters, when you have been given great abilities. What you do with that matters. You're accountable to God. First we will see the rewards and then the punishment. Right? We will see first the rewards. What rewards Christ will give to those who are faithful? What rewards? We see that in chapter 25, verse 20. You see what he says here? And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. What is the reward he got? What do you think is the reward he got? Appreciation. You know, we all crave for appreciation, right? We all crave. Anyone here who says that, I don't care appreciation. That's the scum of the earth to me. Anyone here? None of us, right? In fact, we are desperate. Who will appreciate me when I do work? I, I still remember when I was born again in the 1996. And uh, I was so desperate to learn God's word that I went to the Bible college even before the semester began. So I, I went in September the November was a semester beginning, but I said, I, I don't mind. I just come and sit in the class. Ignore me. I just sit there because I want to learn God's word. I can't wait for two months more. That's how I took the baptism also. Um, my, my, the church said that next week we will give you baptism. I said, I can't wait next week. What if Christ comes? I went to another church and took the baptism the same week. <laughs> and I couldn't wait. Went for September and when I went there, I didn't know English. I didn't know how to understand. I was having a great trouble because I was a street loafer. A man, every statement had one abusive, foul language. Because I came from slum, and that's how our language was. And I was at the back bench because all the slum and uh, downtrodden people who are not well-educated, who are not coming from a noble family, who are living on the scholarship of the school, are at the back. And I was like that. And here I come to the Bible college, no English, I had no understanding, I didn't know anything about the Bible, and I was a dumb person there, sitting there. And the first semester was over, six months first semester was over. And all of us, the memory is still fresh for me, and all of us uh, sat in the, uh, in the building there, they were giving certificates to those who graduated, and every year they have this uh, special award for students, a number one award that will be given to the students, and that is called the Barnabas Award. And my director stood over there and he said that this year, Barnabas Award goes to C. Stephen David. I couldn't believe, maybe another Stephen David here? I don't know. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it was such an encouragement to me when all the people clapped their hands together and I, was, I still couldn't believe that this dumb street slum guy going there and received this grand appreciation and certificate from my director that you are Barnabas in this school, a son of encouragement who has been a blessing to our school body. And I think that that appreciation is nothing compared to Hear from the words of my Lord. Well done, good and faithful servants. The one who made the heavens and the earth. The one who calls the stars by name. The one who is the reason for all the existence of life. 
the one who died for my sin and rose from the dead, the one before whom all the nations tremble, the one before whom all the nations are like a drop in a bucket, the one who brings the princes to nothing and exalts the lowly to the heightened place, standing before him. And he looks at me and he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I say, brothers and sisters, aim for that. Aim. Crave for that. Crave for this. And let me tell you, it's a, it's a sacred craving. If you crave appreciation here, it is sin. But if you crave this appreciation from the Lord, it's the most noblest desire and seeking of your life. Good and faithful servant. Verse 22 says that, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here, I have made two talents more. Verse 23, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. What an encouragement. What an encouragement. Do we crave for these brothers and sisters? Or do you live as a dead person waiting to be buried? Are you living in such a way that I want to live a life, a life of legacy in such a way that I would hear these words from my master, good and faithful servant. The first reward, I tell you, is the appreciation from the glorious, gracious lips of the master of the heavens and the earth. As is nothing, I'm telling you, that is infinitely supreme than anyone who can appreciate you on the planet earth. Even if the appreciation comes from the Prime Minister of India or President of America, that is nothing compared to hear these words from the glorious Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. The second reward is this. And what is the reward? He says in verse 21, after appreciating them or before, he says that, enter into the joy of your master. Whose joy it is? The Lord's joy. All of us, you know, for why, why do we slog through in this world? All of us slog through for what? It is for one. Even the one who sins, you know why he sins? For joy. No one will do anything if there is no joy. All of us go through day and night seeking for something in life, whether through sinful things or the good things. We want happiness. And it says here that this would be one of the great rewards in the kingdom of heaven. And that is, enter into the joy of your master in verse 21, he says to the first servant and to the second servant in verse 23, he says, enter into the joy of your master. If you take this phrase, John Piper might say, the call to enter into the joy of your master, it is a call to embrace the eternal satisfaction that comes from being in the presence of God and enjoying him forever. The joy that the Lord gives is His. And as He endures forever, His joy endures forever. And He will embrace you in His presence, in whose presence you will find eternal satisfaction and joy and enjoy Him forever. What a great reward it is for us who are desperate for some kind of happiness and joy in this fallen world. And you know what is the third reward? What is the third reward? Many of us think that after we go there, we just sleep on the bed of roses. Eternity is all about the bed of roses. And you know what it says in verse 21? 
The third reward is more responsibility. It says here, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. It says the same thing in verse 23. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Brothers and sisters, hear this. When the master says that you have been faithful over a little, it means that whatever you have done on earth is little. Your life is short. Your gifts are little. Your time is short. Everything that you have, money, resources, it is nothing compared to eternity. It is little. And if you are faithful in this little thing, God is going to give us much in His coming kingdom. I love what uh, the Bible commentator Douglas uh, Sean O'Donnell says. Uh, this Bible commentator. Hear this. How beautifully he explains. You see, the people of the kingdom of heaven on earth now and in heaven later are not passive. They won't be passive in heaven. To enter the kingdom through faith in Christ is to enter into his workforce. We are getting into a greater work in heaven. As we work here, we will go into the greater work in heaven and there will be hierarchical positions even in heaven. Those who have been faithful here will be entrusted with much later. I have never met a young man who says that, what is the goal of your career? I want to become an auto driver. Have you ever met a young man? What is the goal of your career? What do you want to become? I want to be a janitor. That's my goal in life. In India, what are the only two professions everyone will seek? A doctor, engineer. Man, imagine if this is what we want to excel in the career here. And the guy who is nothing, he's not having great skill and all. And if you tell him that, you know, you may not become a manager. Why can't you sweep streets on the floor? He will say, what are you talking? You want me to sweep floor? You're insulting me. Brothers and sisters, some of you will become that. Janitors maybe. Floats in the kingdom of heaven. Here you might be puffed up. There is no option. But there God will kick on the butt and make sure that you do that. Why? Because you have been not fruitful here. And the Bible says that whatever you do here in little responsibilities God has given to you, that is what will happen. God will give you much. He says that your, the new heavens and the new earth is a place of workforce. And it is to return in some sense to Eden, to pre-fall holiness, where work was given to man as a divine gift, not a curse. Do your kingdom work well now, and you will be rewarded with more work now, and especially then. I wonder some of us here, software engineers there, and God will go there, and when you go there, and God will tell you, hey, go and clean the toilets there. Lord, you know what is my qualification? I am M-Tech. I've done PhD. Doesn't matter here. Were you faithful there? I'm, I'm, I want to tell you that, especially Indian brothers and sisters, be prepared to hurt your ego there. <laughs> I may go there as a pastor and say, that, Lord, you know, who is, this is Stephen David. I was a very public speaker. I've written some books. And you're telling me to go and be a watchman somewhere. I think there is something might have happened. Lord, just think about it. It says that, here, the judgments are very different. The judgments are very different. It's not how great you were here. It is what you have done with your life. 
So brothers and sisters, I encourage you, be with your mobile phones. Be before the television. Enjoy your life. But you know, be prepared to listen later what is happening. It's not an easy thing what you are doing with your time and life here. As one commentator puts it, I love this statement. You know what is that? Heavenly rewards are not beds of rest. They are posts of duty. Heavenly rewards are not beds of rest. They are posts of duty. And then we come to the most important thing here. What is that? Punishment. Listen to this in verse 24. He who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. What a faithful man, right? <laughs> I've not done anything allowed, no harm at all with your talent. Here you take it. Take it, I'm giving you back as you have given me. If anyone does that here, you should be very happy with that. Man, you are, I never expected you would do that. You know what is the attitude of the servant here? The first of all, if you see, he had a problem with his understanding of who God is. You know, what you believe about God is very important, brothers and sisters. He mistrusted his master. What is the opinion he had of his master? What is the opinion he had? Hard. And I have seen almost every person who has a hard view of God. They live a paralyzed life. They don't have a right understanding of who God is. They had a, he had a hard view of God and he was unfruitful as a result of it. He didn't have a proper understanding of who God is. And also you see that he had fear. I was afraid. And this is not a healthy fear. This is an unhealthy fear and did nothing to him. And what else do you, you see that? You see that he didn't want to take risks. He wants to be careful and safe. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, be careful of the word safe. The more safer you want to be here, the loser you will be in the coming kingdom. He didn't want to take risks. He didn't use his ability. He didn't use the opportunities to labor, but hid it in the ground. And you know what is an interesting thing actually here? How much did the master give him, by the way? Why did he give him one talent? He didn't have greater ability. My master already know that you don't have a great ability. He had lesser ability. And he gave one talent in his lesser ability. And what did he do with that? He didn't do anything. <laughs> People with lesser abilities are more prone to live a passive life than with greater abilities. It seems. And you know what is? We see that he gave excuses for not being productive. What is the excuse he gave? What is the excuse he gave? You are a hard man. You will reap where you do not sow. And will ask me for something that you did not give. That's the excuse he gave. And whom is he blaming actually here? The master himself. <laughs> what a, what a, is it? I mean, he's a genius man. Blaming God for not being fruitful. You know, I'm reminded of one Proverbs in uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13. Proverbs chapter 22, 
verse 13. You know what it says? I, I read from the Living Translation Bible, the Living Bible. It says that the lazy man is full of excuses. I can't go to work, he says. You know why? Because if I go outside, I might meet a lion in the street and be killed. <laughs> it's just an exaggeration. What lame excuses a lazy man gives. You know, I'm reminded of, uh, please bear. Uh, I don't want to continue in the next sermon. Uh, uh, in a few minutes, we will take it and close. I'm reminded of uh, General William Woods, who was a founder of Salvation Army, the massive uh, uh, international ministry that you see here. When he became old, he started to lose his eyes. And the doctor came to his son, Bramwell, and told him that your dad is losing his sight. He can't see anymore. So you go and tell your dad. And this Bramwell was wondering, how do I tell? Because he was a hard laborer. He, he slogged through all his life and was so fruitful in his life. And he went to him and said, Dad, I have some news for you that you can't see anymore with your eyes. You're old, your eyes are dying. And he said, son, you mean to say that I can't see you? He said, no, Dad, not in this world. And then William Booth said something which is astounding. You know what he said in his old age when he lost his eyes? All these days I have served God with my eyes. From now on, I will serve him without my eyes. That's the man of diligence. Diligent people always find reasons to work hard and excel. Lazy people always find excuses not to work hard and excel. And we should be very careful. Some people pray, but don't labor, thinking God will do every, everything and they don't want to labor. That's not what the scripture says. Some people say, I believe in grace. God will do all things, but they don't labor. These are respectable excuses. Man of prayer, not a man of labor. Man who believes in grace, but doesn't labor. And some people, you know, blame what? Weaknesses and afflictions. You don't know how my life was hard. Christ will tell you, do you, know, do you understand how hard my life was? They blame afflictions and moods. I was not in a good mood. Therefore, I was not fruitful. Be prepared, sisters and brothers. Nothing is going to work. Oh, I was moody. And you know what kind of personality I had? I had a melancholic personality. I, my, which means I'm a depressive person. I, cannot, I, can, I didn't have the energy. You know what the Bible says? His divine power has given us all things necessary for godly living, godly work, godly fruitfulness in this world. If you are depressed because you choose to be depressed, if you are weak because you choose to be weak, if you want to be discouraged by afflictions, you choose to be discouraged by afflictions, but that's not the state God has called you to be. He has given you all the resources to overcome all the hindrances so that you can be all fruitful for His glory. Look for reasons to work hard. Look for reasons to work hard. And you know what is the criticism of the master? The criticism of the master we see in verse 26. But his master answered him. What did he say to him? You wicked and slothful, lazy servant. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. Laziness and faithfulness are inseparable. If you are lazy, you are unfaithful. 
And these are hard words. And, and the words that God uses is what? Generally, wickedness, whom do you use for? Terrorists, wicked men, rapists, wicked person, adulterers, wicked person. Did he do anything with them? Did he do any gross sins here? Did he rob people? Did he kill people? He didn't do. He was a decent Christian. A decent man. And God tells him, you wicked and unfaithful servant. And, and later, you know what is the word? He uses the word wicked for him. He uses the word slothful for him. And even in verse 30, he uses the word what? Worthless servant. Do you think, do you want to hear these words, people? And I'm afraid some people may hear these words. Wicked, slothful, worthless servant. And you see the punishment here the master proclaims. You wicked and slothful servant, you know, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Even if you think that I'm a hard man, then you should have worked harder. If that is what your reason is, you should have worked harder. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At least if you had put that money in the bank, you might have got some interest and you, you might have repaid me with some interest. You didn't even do that. And at, at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. And you know what is? The 28th verse says that. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. He lost even what he had. And the master gave a very, very powerful statement. And this is one of the hard statements in the Bible. You need to work hard to get it. You know what he says? For to everyone who has, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it for your understanding. For to everyone who has, which means everyone who is productive with his life and gifts and responsibilities in this world, everyone who has will more be given. They will have more responsibilities, more rewards in the kingdom of heaven. And he will have an abundance. He will be a celebrity in the kingdom of heaven. But from the one who has not, which means he who is not productive with his body, life, time, money, gifts, responsibilities in this world, even what he has will be taken away, which means he will have nothing and he will perish. He will have nothing and will perish. And these are the hard words, brothers. Verse 30. Verse 30 are the hard words. You know what it says? And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What are the two things here? Cast into the outer darkness. Which is this man will live eternally without God. The outer darkness is without God. And weeping and gnashing of teeth speaks about without joy. Without joy. He will live his eternal life without joy, without God. And he will perish. Let me tell you one thing here. This parable doesn't speak about earning salvation or losing salvation. It speaks about how the lives of those will be who are genuinely Christians and superficially Christians. Hear this carefully. This parable doesn't speak about earning salvation or losing salvation. It speaks about how lives look like of those people who are genuinely people of God 
and superficially people of God. And that goes in line with the Lord Jesus who said in John chapter 15 verse 8. John chapter 15 verse 8. You know what he said? He said that this, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What is fruitfulness here? Listen once again. You bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What is the sign of Christ's disciples? Some may bear much fruit. Some may bear lesser fruit. But hear this carefully. There is no such thing as a single unproductive Christian in the kingdom of God. There may be diverse delegations, diverse abilities, diverse fruitfulness. But an unproductive person is not a true Christian. He is not a true believer. And that is what we see that the parable is speaking about. I want to tell you, dear brothers and sisters, this is the very reason Christ has died on the cross. You know why? Because we have been living in sin and squandering our life, separated from God, and God and Christ has saved you so that you can come back to the meaning and the purpose of life, which is to live and die for the glory of God. Not be individualistic, but be a person who love and serve others. That's the very reason Christ died. And if we who claim to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and do not live according to the purpose for which Christ died on the cross, you are only believing in vain and you are not proving yourself to be Christ's disciples. People, I want to tell you something which is very important. In my Christian living, when I read the Bible, I see three kinds of people. The number one, those who discipline themselves, work hard and excel. Those who discipline themselves, work hard and excel. And it's just a lifelong struggle for them. They don't just uh, excel just like that. And the second people who abuse their lives and gifts and responsibilities and become worse and worse in their lives. The second category of people. Few category of people fall in the first one. Discipline, hard worker, excel. Few category of people who become worse. Majority of the people fall in the third category. Majority. And as a shepherd, I see the same thing here in the church. You know who are the majority of the people? Majority of the people who live a mediocre life. Average life. Just come to church, read the Bible, pray, be some, you know, little things they do and they are happy with that. Mediocre. They are the ones who will be hearing these words from the master. You wicked and slothful servant, you worthless servant. That is how the condition of the people, they neither excel nor they are worse. They are good. They are good. They are good for nothing. And their judgment will be terrible. I want to tell you, Brothers and sisters, if there is any believer here, please take your life seriously. Don't just vainly confess, Christ is my Lord, Christ died for my sin and all. Remember, that is even greater accountability. If you claim to believe in Christ because he died for our sins and rose from the dead, so that you and I would live a fruitful life. Use your life meaningfully, purposefully, fruitfully for the glory of God. And if you are an unbeliever, 
I encourage you to repent of your sins and believe in this only one Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died for our sin and rose from the dead so that you can change your eternal destiny and make your life fruitful. I want to close with this uh, pastor's quotation. He said that, Brand Bell, there is no worse crime in this entire world than a crime of a wasted life. There is no worse crime in this world than a crime of a wasted life. I was uh, reading John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to read that. If you heard his title but never read it, read it. I'm reading it and I'm telling you there is one thing that, has, that is a very convicting thing. He speaks about how his church was praying for a man for years and decades that he would turn to the cross. And he continuously resisted and resisted and never believed. And then at an old age, when a hymn was sung, this old man was convicted and finally repented of his sin and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You might think that this man must be the happiest person when he believed in Christ at his old age. And the church rejoiced that this man finally believed in Christ. But when he believed in Christ, you know what he cried? And John Piper said that what he cried sealed my heart as a young man. That is not what I want to be when I become old. And you know what he cried? I have wasted it. I have wasted my life. I have wasted my life. Now I have nothing to do for the glory of my God. Wasted it. And Piper said that as a young man. I am not going to say those words when I become old. And you know what Piper is today as an old man? He labored. He disciplined, he used his time and gifts and responsibilities God has given him to be fruitful so that he would not waste his life, but be a good and a faithful servant. And hearing these words from the master, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's joy. Shall we all rise on our feet and pray? Heavenly Father, we stand before you, O Lord. And we are afraid of the time on the last day that we are going to stand before you and we look at your face and look at our face. And Lord, all of us here are going to hear either one of these words from your mouth. There is no middle ground. There is no other statement. Either we will listen from you these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. Or... You wicked and slothful servant, be casted away into outer darkness where there is gnashing of teeth. These are the only two words that people here, including myself, are going to hear. Either this or that and nothing else. There is no middle ground. There is no mediocre statement that we look for by living a mediocre life. Lord, help us to take our life seriously. It's a precious thing to live in this world as image bearers of God. As children bought by the blood of Christ. It's a precious thing. Oh Lord, we pray this morning. Have mercy on us. Revive us. Help us to live a life for your glory, honor and praise. Maybe not wasted, but use it for your glory. Use it to serve others and be a blessing to others. When we die, let it not be as if we never lived. When we die, as if 
we never died and kept living because our life speaks even after we die for the glory of your name and the, for the blessing of your church and your people. Lord, make us fruitful. And may we not just pray, may we not just believe in your grace, but labor, 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 work hard, be disciplined, grow, invest, serve, knowing that our Lord is coming soon to settle accounts with us and we have to be faithful and diligent now. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts. And if anyone is hardened here, still hardening their hearts, pray that they will be broken by your grace. Give them some more time, O oh Lord. Give them some more time so that they would listen and turn and give their lives to live a fruitful Christian living for your glory. We worship you. We glorify you. And offer these desperate prayers to your throne of grace to have mercy on us and revive us and lead us to live a fruitful Christian living. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.